And now, thanks to our sponsor, the Pet Shop Boys, your pet care experts, it's Pet Chat on 2NURFM 103.7. And a very good afternoon and welcome along, guys. Nice to have you here. G'day, Dave. And a topic for today from you, Dr. David Tabard, I think we're looking at fleas. Absolutely, flea prevention. We normally talk about it in spring, but look, start of the year, good good topic to kick us off with again. Well, actually, there's so much fleas going around I at know, the moment. I know. It's, it's the temperature, the humidity, it's all the, at the right condition Absolutely. for flea infestation. So I think that's a good topic. Yep. And uh, Daniel, you've got for us today a very special guest joining we us. We do, Dr. Joanne Salance. Um, will be talking to us about vaccinations. And uh, we've had a recent outbreak of parvo again in the Hunter Valley last year. So we'll talk about that, but why you should vaccinate and how often. Okay, that's all coming your way. Plus, we'll be inviting your calls on 49216216 at 2 in your RFM. Dr. Joanne Salance, who's the Managing Director of Pets Australia. Hi, Joanne. Hello. Thank you for joining us. Ah, lovely to talk. What can we do for you today? Well, look, what, what I thought we should talk about is vaccinations. Now, you'll know that last year in the Hunter, we had quite a bit of a parvo outbreak. So I guess my question is, and as a dog breeder myself, are we over-vaccinating? Are we under-vaccinating? What's the go and what's happening in the vaccination field in regards to those types of questions? Ah, oh, look, a lot of science, an enormous amount of science. Look, first things first. Um, the parvovirus outbreak that happened in Maitland um, and sort of spread around Cessnock Maitland has gone on up to Tamworth. It's gone out to Port Macquarie. It's gone down into the western suburbs of Sydney. And the bottom line is this. If your dog is not properly vaccinated, your dog is at genuine risk of death. Now, the outbreak has slowed down around Newcastle a little bit because so many people rushed out and got vaccinated. But parvo can survive up to two years in the environment, so we just need to watch this for quite some time. How do you know... Yeah, sorry, go on. On the over-vaccination issue, um, there's been enormous amounts of recent science and the best of it's come out of Canada, but it's still applicable to Australia. And, and that says that the over-vaccination issue is largely a myth. Um, it's about 1% of animals that get a bit of a skin lump, and everybody knows there's somebody that had somebody whose dog might have got a reaction. About 80% of the supposed vaccine reactions turn out to be a result of something else. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when they're properly investigated as compared to just, you know, I did this and something happened the next day. The issue with over-vaccination is that um, uh, in terms of safety, there are horses in Victoria that are vaccinated every week. They provide tetanus antibodies for us, so in terms of actual numbers of vaccinations, there's the proof of the pudding on your face. Okay. But in terms of dealing with a disease, we need to understand that... An antibody uh, is a physical thing. It's a protein. When a germ gets into the animal, dog or cat or whatever, that protein comes along and physically attaches to that germ and removes it. And so that means that if there are a lot of germs around, you need a lot of antibodies, which means you have to boost more often. Mm -hmm. If there are not many germs around then you don't need quite as many antibodies and your boosters can go out a little longer. So I guess that's the bottom line. There is no ideal revaccination or booster period. It depends on what's happening in the environment. At the moment, you've got a highly contaminated environment in the Hunter and people should be boosting for parvo every year. 
How does it work then, I guess, in terms of you're saying people should be um, vaccinating every year. What about like when you compare dogs and humans? Humans don't get vaccinated every year. So why do we do that with dogs? Um, it is a bit of a difference in the way the immune system works. Mm-hmm. But I guess the biggest difference is that uh, humans don't get the kinds of diseases that dogs get. There are a few um, similarities. So canine cough and whooping cough are genetically almost identical. Um, and we've got a really good vaccine for canine cough and we've got a really good vaccine for whooping cough and yet adults and children still get whooping cough every year because we probably don't boost enough okay. for whooping cough. Um, so it's a matter of playing off what you're prepared to accept in terms of disease in the population versus uh, a good quality vaccine that will produce a nice result. And, of course, Humans are happy to get a cold six times a year and feel awful and miss some work and that's okay. It's because there's no good vaccines for that. But, of course, if a dog gets sick, everybody gets upset about vet bills so they don't want the dog to get sick in the first place. Now, I guess, is there now, like you can vaccinate yearly, but isn't there a vaccination that you can do once every three years? Uh, Look, there's a bit of discussion about vaccinations yearly versus vaccinations once every three years. Again, it depends on the level of environmental contamination. That three-yearly vaccine was tested in a laboratory on a small number of dogs and it assumed that all dogs were vaccinated. Now, vets reckon about 85% of dogs are vaccinated, but they only see the dogs that get vaccinated. The truth in a recent research study, is that only 35% of dogs in Australia are properly vaccinated. Uh, so there's a real question about the translation of that three-year science into uh, the current highly contaminated environmental conditions in the hunter. Wow, so you're saying in terms of dogs, it's only one in three that are regularly vaccinated. Yeah, and that's a truly scary number. And yeah. we didn't believe that scientific research so we actually went out and asked all our pet business members and they came back with exactly the same number. They came back, they reckon only one in three dogs or cats is properly vaccinated. Now the problem with that, every unvaccinated dog or cat is contaminating the environment Mm. and so it's actually making the whole situation you know, as bad if not worse. So if you've got a puppy which can't be properly vaccinated until it's 14, 16 weeks old uh, then it's a genuine risk. And that's why when you get your puppy with its first vaccination, the vet says don't take it out to the park and so on until the course is finished. Now, we'll move off the vaccination topic. One little tricky question for you. In mm-hmm. regards to cats and dogs, when dogs are happy, they wave, their, well, they move their, their, their tail around and, and, and so forth, and you, can, you know that they're happy. Cats... What's the meaning when they actually move their tail around? Are they happy or are they actually upset or or something's going on? Um, The answer is you have to be able to read cat. Now, the cat people are going to love me because I'm going to tell you some science now that says that cats have more than 30 different body language poses. So you actually have to be smarter to read cat language than you have to be to read dog language. Okay, so so cat dog language is uh, cat... Cat language or cat body language is, is uh, a lot more complex than the dog body language. That's very true. Okay. So if a cat is, is hunting, it'll just wag the tip of its tail. Mm-hmm. If it's angry, it'll sometimes swish its tail. 
if it's interested to see you, it'll often have a stiff, a stiff tail. So it's a matter of reading all those different body languages in cats. So it's a lot more complex. Okay, because we did have a caller not long ago asking the same question, so I hope that person's listening. <laughs> Thank you very much for your help, Joanne. Nice to chat, Danny. See you. Bye-bye. It's Pet Chat today, 49216216. Now, we invite you to give us a call, and you can be part of the show. All you have to do is pick up the phone, give us a call on 49216216. And we've got a brand-new segment which is coming our way in around about 20 minutes from now, to NURFM's Pet Rescue. We've got Sarah Farley-Adams joining us in here, and we have got the most amazing dog we're going to tell you about. She's beautiful. Her name is Goldie. I'm not going to tell you what breed she is, but if you'd like to have a look at her, if you go to the 2NURFM website and click on Pet Chat, you can see a picture of our two and your FM pet rescue dog today, Goldie, and you can see a little bit about her. We'll tell you some stories about her. She's from dogrescuenewcastle.com.au. You can find our details there and at our Facebook site. It's Pet Chat, 49216216. And for our vet, Dr. David Tabret, joining us on the line right now is Debbie, and Debbie's with us, uh, sorry, Faye's with us from Waratah. Hi, Faye. How are you going? I'm very well, thank you, but being driven mental with grass fleas. Oh, no. We've oh. had the lawn sprayed. We've yes. got our little puppy on Advantix. Yes. But he gets covered in eggs, and I'm wondering how the Advantix works. Fantastic question. Right up our alley today. So the little grass fleas are actually cat fleas. They're cat fleas, yeah. aren't they? Yeah. The oh, proper, we the, don't have any cats. <laughs> no, the proper name for them is uh, Tenocephalides fearless. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and um, I won't spell it, no. uh, but it will be in the exam later. And basically, it's a cat flea, but it's the it's the flea that we know and love uh, that affects dogs and yes. cats and so on. And uh, it will uh, have eggs than larvae in the um, or pupa in the soil, in the yard, in anywhere your pet would go to. Right. And what happens is, uh, as Danny was saying earlier, we've got these wonderful conditions for fleas. They just love to breed. Uh-huh. Each female is going to lay about 50 eggs a day, and as they go through the life cycle, yes. you know they're producing thousands and thousands of eggs. The eggs hatch into larvae. Normally, um, so the eggs are actually laid on the pet usually. Yes. They come off in the bedding. The larvae hatch, and then they form pupae, which is like a little cocoon. All right. Okay, and inside the cocoon, they uh, metamorph metamorphosize into the flea. And so what happens is that under the right environmental conditions, you get this all of a sudden, this surge in numbers of all these pupae starting Uh to hatch out. Okay. So if you have cold weather, for instance, uh, the pupa can go into a suspended animation. Uh And then when the warmer weather comes along, all these fleas suddenly appear. All right. Now, the question is about how to get rid of them. Well, Advantix is a really good product. Um, but you're really trying to hold back the, the you know this wall of water almost with uh, just a little little mopping sponge. Yeah. Um, but what we tend to rely on is knowledge of the life cycle. Yes. Okay. So we know that they're out in the environment. We know that they're feeding on your pet. The uh, degree of effectiveness of some of these products and Advantix, I would rate as a pretty good product. Yes. In most circumstances. If it's on the pet, then it's going to be very effective at killing the fleas as they're feeding. Right. Okay. And so what happens is you're going to gradually knock these numbers down. Uh, But the problem is that you've got so many in the environment already. 
Yes. And they're just constantly coming at you. If you have the yard spray... Yes, I have. Um, that may have some effect as the uh, either the larvae hatch out of the eggs or the fleas hatch out of the pupa, but it can't really affect the uh, pupa at all. It's almost like, you know, survives a nuclear blast. Oh, so right, yeah. It's really protected. So we really need to target the life cycle at the various stages when they're feeding, and that's the adult and the larvae. Um, and there's, there are different products. Now, you could use a combination. Right. Um, but you do need to be careful and just watch out for signs of toxicity. For instance, if I was using two organophosphates, and these are probably older products, um, yep. then we could have a, a, our dog could become um, intoxicated by them or poisoned. So the newer products, and Advantix is a good example, um, are far less toxic. All right. Okay. Now, they tell me there's a tablet you can get as well, Com something. Comfortus? Yes. yes. Can he take that with Advantix? Uh, the two, the product in Comfortus, in, they're the two products I brought in to talk about, so this actually works really well. The, oh, um, uh, the product in Comfortus that's an insecticide is called Spinosad. Yes. And it acts on a part of the nervous system of fleas, similar, right. similar to what the Advantix does. Okay, but the Comfortus doesn't do ticks, but the Advantix does ticks. All right. As well as your fleet. So can I combine the two or not? Um, I'm pretty sure you can because they actually act on different parts of the nervous system. All right, they okay. Act on, they act on different receptors, I should say. Uh, okay. It's the same part, but it's different receptors. The question is, do you need to? All right. Um, because I don't think that it's a case of saying, well, if I just add more insecticide... Um, we're going to be more effective. I think it's just you've got a very effective product. Yes. You've just got so many fleas coming at you. And will those fleas breed inside? Because this is a little house oh, dog. Yeah, absolutely. Will they? Yeah. So you actually get the circumstance where, like I said, the eggs are laid in the bedding and uh, then the larvae hatch. They're feeding on the, the dead skin and so on that's come off the dog. Um, and so then they form the pupa. And that, that can be in your carpet and on seen examples where not only do they need the humidity and the temperature but fleas will hatch upon movement so you might go away on holidays over summer you walk back into the house and uh, as you walk across the room it's almost like they all start hatching and jumping on your legs and one minute the carpet looks clean and the next minute it's black with fleas um, because the movement of your feet on the floorboards can actually stimulate the hatching from the pupa so it doesn't matter if they're inside or outside. If you're using a product like, say, Advantix or Comfortus or one of those newer generation, I think that's your best bet because you're still going to be treating the adult fleas um, at the site when they're feeding. That's going to be the most effective method. If you do want to speed up the process too, there are sp flea sprays that you can use on the bedding that are safe enough to use on the bedding and spray that would be able to kill the, the adult fleas yeah. there. Unfortunately, yeah. the numbers mm. just end up being so huge. And the problem about this uh, phase is that we're at almost at the wrong end of the season. This is like we really should be doing this back in September, October. Having said that, and Dave, I'll probably just wrap up because I... Do you notice I could talk about fleas for hours? Yeah, you're doing well seven minutes at the moment. <laughs> so. But actually what happens is that because we've got really warm weather now... As the weather starts to cool down, those eggs and the pupae start to hibernate. They'll go into suspended animation. 
So it's a really good idea. You don't want to have problems in August, September, so let's make sure we knock out as many as we can. Otherwise, as the weather cools down, they're not going to be feeding. The adults aren't going to be feeding. They're not hatching, and you don't have an opportunity to kill them over winter. So now's the time to be using the products just like we were talking about. And we've got Debbie with us now from Caves Beach. Hi, Debbie. How are you? Hi. I'm good, thank you. What can we do for you today? Um, I was just wondering with dogs, I've got two little dogs, um, what's the best diet for them? Because, yeah, some people just give their dogs biscuits, but Mm -hmm. I I don't know, I sort of feel sorry for them just eating biscuits. And should they be eating cooked meat or raw meat? Oh, that's a great question. Um, Danny's going to probably jump in in a minute on this, but before he does, um, there's a couple of basic principles, and one is that we talk about life cycle diets. So, for instance, yep. you would feed a puppy something different to what you feed an adult to, say, an older dog that may have um, arthritis or kidney disease or something All like right, that. All right, yep. So you, you've got a range of choices, and you'll see this in the supermarket, and uh, by and large, these things are based on really good science. Okay, so yes, younger dogs probably need a higher fat content, higher protein because they're growing muscles, higher fat gives you more energy and so on. As far as um, texture goes, there's no real hard and fast rule there except that just be aware that very often wet food nutritionally has a very similar value to dry food. All right. And usually what's happening is that we're being sold a marketing tail based on you know would you you'll, you'll see those ads for product that say oh you know steak with gravy and yep. because that's attractive to people yeah we assume that it's attractive to dogs right and um, as I say to some people look dogs aren't that discerning they'll eat dog poo so you know they're not really yep. they're not really that critical about it um, but there's no okay. harm in that it's just don't always be convinced that it's necessarily better Oh, right, yeah, because I just wonder whether they need a variety, you know, um, um, different foods or... Yeah, dogs don't tend to get flavour or texture fatigue as much. as You know, cats would probably, like, eat something for about a week and then it's like, no, I won't eat fish, fish ever again. You must serve me turkey and so on. And cats will test you out a lot more. Dogs, if if you're there and they're fe- you're feeding them, they're as happy as Larry. So what's what's the age of your dogs? Oh, they're... Five and eight. Five and eight, and mm. small breed. Okay. Yeah, small breed. Yeah. So, like, yeah. there is there is dry dry dog food that you can get for small breeds. It'll have a smaller yeah. kibble. It also yeah. you can get a, a dry dog food which will be a senior formula for your for your older eight year old as well. Okay. That'll have extra um, ingredients in it like glucosamine and chondroitin for the joints. Um, okay. Yeah, even within within the brands, like there is different flavors that you can move um, f- from. So some some brands will have uh, possibly a duck and turkey flavor. Then there's a lamb flavor, and then there's a I know with Canada there's the bison flavor as well. So you can change it to vary it. But as as David says, they're not too fussed about that. What the idea mm. is is with the packaged mm. and a dry food that you do give them, and that it is science based and it's a complete and balanced diet and that's what's important that they're getting the right nutrition whereas when we think of making cooking the food up cooking some mince up and and some veggies with it and maybe some rice are we giving them their complete 
balanced diet, the, the amount of vitamins and minerals that they do need to have a healthy lifestyle. And um, there was a study recently done that I was reading about that if we were just to feed chicken mince to our dog in about 18 months that they would actually pass away because there's not enough nutrition on feeding just the chicken mince and the oh, carcasses. A- absolutely. That's there's, right. There's a lot of um, pitfalls if you're trying to construct a diet. And yes, it can be done but you need to have it nutritionally analysed. In other words, someone sit down and work out all of those things. Danny said, make sure that everything's in balance. Look, I, I don't have that much time. <laughs> I just, I open a, you know, a, sorry, I should say my wife opens the bag of food to feed the animals. So, so it's uh, all done for us. It's all done. Well, That's it's all right. done for me, isn't it? <laughs> uh, one thing I would encourage, and not enough people do this though, is look at the ingredient list on the food that you are, the dog food that you are buying and you're feeding, and you'll be surprised to find out so many, so many uh, products out there start off with a wheat as the first ingredient. I'd stay away from that. Make sure that the first ingredient is meat. Uh, and goes from there. Yeah, Danny, there's um, a really good point about uh, labelling and being careful about it. So the better quality foods, sure, you pay a little bit more, but the ingredients are going to be a better quality. Exactly, yeah. And from, from my point of view, looking at them nutritionally, they have what we call a better digestibility. There's a very simple um, concept with digestibility is what goes in one end, how much comes out the other end. So if you've got low digestibility, a fair bit ends up on your backyard. Whereas high digestibility, most of the energy is going into your pet. And that's what I like to see. Yeah, It's Pet Chat this afternoon. Great to have you with us. We're here right through until uh, 1 o'clock today. Then we'll have the latest in news from the Hunter Newsroom. Got a brand new segment for you right now. And Sarah Farley-Adams joins us for Pet Rescue. Let's find out a little bit more about that. Hello, Sarah. Hey, Dave. How are we today? Now, this is a new uh, project you're working on yourself personally. I am. Look, I've gotten involved with Dog Rescue Newcastle, which is an amazing group um, of volunteers, basically, that are dedicated to helping helping and rescuing abandoned, neglected or abused animals. Um, So we we rescue them from local pounds, also foster places, and we put them into care and try and find them a proper home. Now, I've had a little look, and we invited people a little earlier. I told them if they come to the 2NURFM website, you can look at the uh, Pet Chat uh, page, and you'll see a picture of 2NURFM's pet rescue dog today. I didn't say what breed she is, so I think you should make the announcement. Well, look, what we're wanting to do is feature a different animal each week, and this week we are looking at Goldie the Greyhound. Now, she is an amazing greyhound. She's very gentle. Um, She's a great companion, and basically she was surrendered after the recent bushfires. So she is looking for a home. Um, you can actually check Goldie out at 2NURFM.com if you go to our pet chat and you will see her there. Um, now, she's a quiet nature. She's great with kids, but she would probably prefer an environment that's a little what's quieter. She, uh, what's she clocking in at at the moment? You, you, you ran a clock <laughs> I don't across think she's it. ever been a racing greyhound, but I'm sure she can go pretty quick. I'll borrow her for Friday night down the gardens. I'll take I don't think there. that's the no? point of, of uh, adopting oh. out Goldie, unfortunately. Oh, okay. um, so, yeah, look, we're looking for a loving home for her, basically. Basically, um, and she is waiting. She has been waiting for a while. So, if you're in the market for a new pet and you're thinking of a greyhound, the only thing is, no cats. She's, <laughs> she's a beautiful not dog. Good with cats. Beautiful looking dog. What's your thoughts? Can you tell us about uh, greyhounds, greyhounds as are, pets? Yeah, greyhounds are fantastic. And the one thing, Sarah, we, should we mention? They love to lie on the lounge. 
Oh, they, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah she she's, loves being inside. She's a smoocher. They're the laziest dogs. No. They really are. Which a lot of people that. don't realise that they are. Because a lot of people think that, oh, if I get a greyhound, I'm going to be running them, and I, how can I keep up? Putting sure. in the box already. <laughs> she won't be like, that lazy. Like any, like any dog, of course, you need to make sure that you give them an appropriate uh, environment, like a backyard that they can exercise. Make sure that they do go for walks. But uh, don't be afraid because they're um, they're great companions. They are they are really good. Um, they're they're pretty much very easy to handle in the family environment. As you said, they do like to be lazy and, and lays around. They enjoy the couch. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know what? You said about definitely no cats. But the stats actually show that only twenty percent of ex racing greyhounds are, are, are really keen on chasing prey. For, for, uh, so that in terms of small animals being safe, still wouldn't so want to put that can, in the mix. They they yeah. can be taught and trained to to know that this cat or this rabbit is part of the the family and it it's okay. It's not to be preyed on because they're obviously very intelligent, Denny. So yeah. you're saying they they do learn quite quickly. Well, look, I, I know she's great with kids. I definitely know that. Um, but for anyone that is interested and would like to know more about Goldie, you can contact Anita on zero four double zero one. 07603 that's a long number so if you need that again please call us here at 2NURFM or you can go to dogrescuenewcastle.com.au or I'm giving you too many options or of course 2NURFM.com and we've got all the details there so lots of different ways you can get involved and check out Goldie okay that is great and we'll be doing this again next week we'll look forward to chatting further about it thank Sarah. you Yes, very good. Now, we're going back to calls. 49216216 is the phone number. Waiting very patiently for us at East Maitland is Helen. Good afternoon. Hello. I just wanted to let you know that I use mint for the fleas. Oh, okay. And how how many animals do you have, Helen? I have two cats. Two cats, right. Good. And so what do you do with the mint? I grow one pot out back near the back door and I've got one pot at the front, at so the front door. So you're not uh, spreading it in the house or anything or crushing it no. or spraying? It's just having it no. around, around the house seems to help keep the fleas under control for you? Yes, my mother told me that. Okay. There's a lot of um, a lot of natural, I guess we'd call them, in, uh, uh, in terms of flea repellents. We know that, um, for instance, tea tree and eucalyptus mm. can have flea repellent activity. But um, some of those things also we do have to be careful about. For example, and chrysanthemums, of course, is where we get um, pyrethrins from. Uh, but interestingly, for instance, tea tree oil and pyrethrins can be toxic to cats. So I haven't heard any problems with mint, but um, be interesting to keep an eye on how things go over the rest of the year, Helen. Okay. Okay, okay, thanks thank for, you for giving us a call. It's uh, Pet Chat 49216216 if you'd like to be part of it. Anything else you'd like to share with us today, Daniel? Well, what I guess one of the things that I, I think about in terms in terms of the fleas is there are so many products out there. Yeah. How do I choose one that works? There, are, I know in the store we have many customers that come in and say, "Oh, this product no no longer works. What else have you got?" But there is a whole range of questions that we are taught yeah. by the companies that do make these flea uh, flea and tick products. Uh, they, t- they teach us all these range of questions that we need to ask to get down to the reason why it's not working. And once we dig 
into that, we actually find that maybe the person that's been using the product hasn't been using it according to the directions. That's the important part, isn't it? Make yes. sure you're using it properly. Read yeah. the instructions. And, and in preparing for today, I was thinking about this a little bit and thinking, well, what sort of training do we have? And we know that each product, when it comes out, we have a whole set of training. Veterinarians and, and in, uh, people in the industry also get into subjects like parasitology. We learn about nerve systems and so on. So when we're looking at these topics, as Danny said, we really go through a series of questions. And like we did earlier with Faye, talking about um, you know inside, outside, using it on the yard, spraying inside, those sort of things, we have to come up with an individual plan. Mm. So if I say to someone, look, use this product, uh, the next person we're going to say, use this product because it works slightly differently, it's more suited. If you've got dogs and cats in the same house, mm. for instance, I'm probably not going to recommend a product like Advantix because there is a risk of toxicity to cats, as I just mentioned mm. with Helen, that um, a risk of toxicity from the pyrethrins that are very, very good to prevent ticks in dogs, but they could be toxic to the cat. So we'll use something that's a little bit different. One of the most common issues that I find once I start asking questions is that the people um, have washed their dog, for example, mm. okay, so it's nice and clean, and they've put the Advantix or the Frontline on it straight away. Mm. That's a big no-no, because straight away what happens is the mixture gets diluted, and you'll, you won't get as good of a result. Yeah, it's actually, they're, they're mostly a fat-soluble, they're in an alcohol base, which means they need the fat layer on the skin to actually settle in and become a residue. And in, interestingly, uh, Danny, the front line moves down into the fat uh, stores in the um, glands attached to hair follicles. So if we've uh, shampooed the dog, we've stripped all of those fat stores off the skin, and as you say, it'll just run off. Mm. So again, what does it come back to? It comes back to reading instructions, talking with people who are trained to be able to advise you on the best way to treat their and, pet. And we were talking about uh, using possibly two products to counteract, and sometimes that's overkill. We might not need to use that. But mm. in extreme cases that I have found with, with people who've got uh, a really bad flea infestation, what I do encourage is you know, use your Frontline or use your Advantix or your, your Confidus, whatever you want to, but then just... Just get a, a Capstar tablet and use that once every fortnight just to give that extra boost because with the Capstar product, it's only 20, effective for 24 hours, but you literally see the fleas fall off within 20 minutes, half oh. an hour. It works so we, effectively. <laughs> we've, uh, we use, sometimes I'll see, um, I've seen little um, dogs that come in that have got such a bad flea burden, often in puppies. It's so severe. The fleas have sucked all the blood out of them and they're anemic on the verge of needing blood transfusion. We can't really use some of these other products that have got an alcohol base because it could be too strong for them. We'll hit them with Capstar, and as you say, fleas are like leaping off. Yeah. They're dying, falling yeah. off within 10 to 20 minutes. So there you go, a little industry trick, Dave. Right here, boys. Thank you for that. We're back again with Thanks, Pet Chat next week. The boys joining us today at 2NURFM 103.7.